Have you ever forgotten something that was really, really important? Like maybe your wife or your husband's birthday, or maybe your anniversary. I'm sure there's some guys out there who can identify with the story like the one I'm about to tell. Have you ever woken up, say, bright and early on a Saturday morning? Everyone else in the house is still asleep, and it's nice, and it's quiet, and it's peaceful, and you think, I'm just going to lie there for a little bit, relax, enjoy the moment before it gets into its normal chaotic uh, state for the day. But as you're lying there, all of a sudden it hits you that after having put it off all week long, I'm going to do it today, I'm going to do it today, I'm going to do it today, that you forgot to go and get a gift and a card for your anniversary, which is today. And so then suddenly you find yourself propelled out of your state of relaxation into a state of chaos, and you're on a secret covert mission to roll out of bed without waking up your wife, get some clothes on, and get in the car and run out at the crack of dawn. Who knows where you're going to get a gift? Uh, but you go out and you try to find a gift. You get a card, you get a gift, and of course, on your way home, you'll stop by and get some anniversary breakfast so that you can use that as a cover up for why you went out. And then you get back home, and you surprise your wife with the breakfast, and she thinks you are so sweet, and the whole time you're knowing, I am just a really big slacker <laughs> for having forgotten our anniversary. But what do you do? You play right along with it and just let her pretend that you're sweet. Well, the reason I tell you that story today is to remind us that we all live in a world where we forget things. Sometimes this is even very important things, like our anniversary and other important days. And so that leads me to another question. How do you go about remembering things? Do you use a calendar that you write things down on? Do you like to make lists that you keep? Do you use your smartphone or your computer? How do you remember things? Maybe you're old-fashioned and really coordinated and like to tie a string around your finger. I'm not sure I could tie a string around my finger, but maybe you have your own way to remember things. Well, regardless of the method that you use, the fact that there are all these different ways to remember things tells us that we live in a world where remembering is important. And one way that we, as Americans, have responded to this need to remember is by setting aside days like Memorial Day, and other holidays to remember those who have paid a big sacrifice on our behalf. And tomorrow is one of those days. It is Memorial Day. It is the day that we set aside to remember. It is a call to remember. A call to stop and remember the American servicemen and women who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And we do this because we know that if we don't set aside days and put them on our calendar that we will easily begin to forget the real heroes of our country and the high price that they have paid for our freedom. But sadly, even our best intentions to do this usually result in little more than an extended weekend of shopping 
and vacationing instead of remembering those who have gone before us and done amazing feats on our behalf. The bottom line is that we are terrible at remembering. And when we fail to remember, we forget from where we came and to whom we owe so much to. We are living in a world where we're consumed with the here and the now, and we cannot remember the past. But this is not a new problem. By looking at the Bible, we can see that forgetfulness and neglect has plagued God's people throughout their history. The idea of establishing days of remembrance is not something that we invented. If we look in the Bible, we see that God established days that we should remember. Actually, we have very specific commands from God to remember certain events in our history, life-changing events. But unfortunately, God's people have always had memory problems. God's people have a well-documented history of forgetting whose we are and what we owe him. In the Old Testament, this led to idolatry. In the New Testament, this led to the rising up of false gospels and false teachers. And in our day, it leads to easy believism. Friends, the point is that just like when we forget the important events and people in the history of our country and begin to take our freedoms for granted, the same is true when we forget the things that God has told us to remember in the Bible. You see, God knows that our remembering plays an important role in our being faithful to him. And Satan knows that when he can cause us to forget, that he is ultimately distracting us from being obedient to God. And ultimately, that will lead to us being unfaithful to God. You know, we've all heard stories or maybe known of individuals who were just really, really solid people, somebody that everyone looked up to. And then they start going down a path, and they forget what they knew, and they just go down a road that is just shocking to everyone who knows them well. And then years later, when you ask them about it, they will tell you something like, I just forgot who I was. I forgot what I believed. I forgot what I had been taught. I forgot where I came from. Friends, it is important, again, to remember who you are and whose you are. So this morning, I want to issue to us a call to remember. A call to remember what God has done for us. And the place where we see this most clearly is in the Bible. So this morning, we will look at two examples from Scripture. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. So we can see this overarching picture of God's plan for us, and that plan includes remembering. Remembering so that we will remain faithful to him. But before we do, let's pray that God will prepare our hearts to hear his word this morning. Let me pray. Oh God, your word is of infinite value. It is more precious to us than gold. It is sweeter than the sweetest honey. And so I stand here this morning with the task of proclaiming your word to these people who are hungry to hear it. Father, it is all that I have to offer, so help me to do it without error 
me to do it in a way that draws people to you. Prepare our hearts, Father, to hear from your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the first verse that I want to look at this morning sits right in front of us every morning carved into the wood of this table. And it says, this do in remembrance of me. Or in more modern English, do this in remembrance of me. These words were words spoken by Jesus on the night before his crucifixion at what we call the Last Supper. We see these words recorded in our first passage this morning, which comes from Luke 22. And I'm going to read from verse 14 to verse 20. And I want you to notice specifically verse 19 when we get to it. Luke 14, Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So on the night before his crucifixion, when Jesus was gathered together with his disciples, he instituted the Lord's Supper. And during the institution of this new ordinance for the church, he said to his disciples, Do this in remembrance of me. And in doing so, he is issuing to them a call to remember a call for them to remember his body that will be broken for them and his blood that will be poured out for them the next day on the cross. But what is the broader context here? What specifically was taking place with Jesus and his disciples on the night of the Last Supper? Well, we see this in verses 14 and 15, and I'll go back and read those to us. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So in these two verses, we see that Jesus and his disciples were sharing the Passover meal together. The last week of Jesus' life was spent in and near Jerusalem for the annual Jewish Passover celebration. And it is important for us to see the connection here. So we asked some questions. What exactly was the Passover celebration? What were they celebrating? And is there any significance to this meal that they were eating? Well, to find out, let's go back to Exodus 12, where God established the Passover for the first time. Now, let's review a little bit so we know where we are in the biblical narrative. When we get to Moses in the Exodus event, the major characters leading up to Exodus are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has a son named Joseph who his brothers sell as a slave, and he ends up 
in Egypt. And they do this because they're jealous of him, as you know the story. And years later, because of a famine, the rest of the family is reunited with Joseph through a long set of events recorded for us in the last 13 chapters of Genesis. But this family's reunited, and over a few hundred years, they become to be a great, numerous multitude of people, so much so that the Egyptians begin to feel threatened by them. And the Egyptians take the Israelites as slaves, and they treat them very harshly. And so God calls Moses out of the burning bush, and he tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. God sent Moses to Pharaoh over and over again with the message of let my people go or else. But the Bible tells us what? That Pharaoh's heart was hardened each time that Moses went before him. And after each denial, God struck Egypt with a different plague, but Pharaoh continued to deny God's commands to free the Israelites. And so ultimately God tells Moses, I want you to go before Pharaoh one more time. And after you go before him and he denies you, after the catastrophe I will bring, he will let you go. God tells Moses that he is going to strike down every firstborn in Egypt to get Pharaoh's attention. And in Exodus 12, we see the description of the details of this event and the importance that it will have in the history of Israel. That basically, this is the beginning of Israel as a nation. So look with me now at Exodus 12, and I'll read verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So the first thing we see in verses 1 and 2, that this event was so important that this new nation was to order their whole calendar around it. It was their birth as a nation, so to speak. And, and though we do not order our calendar around the 4th of July, it would be very much like us doing that. The point is, this is a very, very important day that is to be remembered by the Israelites forever. And so pick up with me in verse 3. It says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to that which each can eat, you shall make account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from your sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So in verses 3 to 6, we see that God commands each, each family to take a lamb. And on the 10th day of the month, they are to take this lamb and they're to keep it until the 14th day of the month. And then they are to all sacrifice it together on the 14th day. But it is what they do after they sacrifice the lamb that is interesting and so important for us as we're trying to understand God's plan of salvation throughout history. So pick up with me in verse 7. Then they, say, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So this is the most important part. 
we see here in verse 7 that the blood of the lamb is taken and it's painted on the two doorposts and across the lintel of the door. And in verse 13, God explains that this blood will serve as a sign and will result in God passing over the Israelite houses when he strikes dead all the firstborn in Egypt. Hence the name Passover. So let me read verses 12 and 13. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So we see here that the plague of death will come and strike the Egyptian homes, but will pass over the Israelite homes, and their firstborn will be spared because of the blood. And just as promised, this is exactly how it played out. The result of all this is exactly as God said, Pharaoh did indeed let the Israelites go. And thus Israel has been redeemed from their slavery And God has established them on this day as a new nation. And so notice what we see in verse 14. This shall be a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And so what we see here is a command that God gives to them to keep this day as a memorial day from generation to generation. And so here the Lord has issued to his people a call to remember. A call to remember what he did for them on this day in their history. And in the same way that we have set aside days like Memorial Day to remember important events and important people in the history of our country and our lives, God is establishing a day of remembrance for the Israelites, one that remains one of the most widely celebrated Jewish holidays even down to this day. And so now, why is all this important to us in Birmingham, Alabama, sitting in Meadowbrook Baptist Church this morning? And how is it related to where we began in Luke 22 with the Lord's Supper? The importance of this event for us as Christians is that what has taken place in Exodus 12 is a substitutionary sacrifice. It is substitutionary because a lamb is taken and is sacrificed and slain in the place of a human being. It is substitutionary because a lamb is taken and slain in the place of the firstborn of Israel. And so with this in mind, the pieces to start coming together for us. What did John the Baptist say about who Jesus was? He said, he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He said that Jesus was was our substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus came to be our Passover Lamb. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, which reads, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. 
So when we see Jesus eating the meal with his disciples and he tells them to do this in remembrance of me, he is wanting them to see that he is the true Passover lamb. The Passover lamb who would do away with the need for any other sacrifice to ever be made. For thousands of years, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. And all this was in preparation for the true Passover lamb who would come and who would be named Jesus of Nazareth. The Passover was only a picture of what Jesus would come and do. In the Passover event, God was delivering his people from the rule of the Egyptians over them. He is freeing them from this, and he is creating a nation that he would deliver to the promised land. And in the Christ event, something very similar is happening. Because of the cross, God passed over our sins. In the same way God delivered the Israelites from their bondage in Egypt, Jesus delivered us from our bondage to our own sin by being our Passover lamb. So look back with me now at Luke 22, and we'll finish this story. There's one final point I want to draw out of Luke 22 this morning, and it comes from verse 20, where Jesus describes the cup as the new covenant in his blood. I will read again, beginning in verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So again, in verse 19, Jesus is establishing the bread and our Lord's Supper as a reminder of his body that will soon be broken on our behalf. And then we have him establishing the cup as a symbol of his blood that will be poured out for us on the cross. But regarding this cup, he describes it in verse 20 as the new covenant in my blood. Now this is important because of what we're told about the new covenant in the Old Testament. And the place where we see this most clearly and succinctly is perhaps in Jeremiah 31. So I'm going to read from Jeremiah 31, four verses to, for us, verses 31 to 34, so that we can see why the establishment of this new covenant is so important and how it relates to the Passover and to what is taking place in the Lord's Supper. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. We see in verse 31 that God promises to make a new covenant with Israel. And he says it will not be like the old covenant, the one that he made with them the day he brought them out of Egypt, what we have been looking at. But how will it not be like the old covenant? Well, it will not be like the old covenant because Israel constantly broke the old covenant. Israel forgot over and over again who they owed their lives to. They forgot over and over again the Lord who had delivered them from the Egyptians. They forgot over and over again the Lord who protected, for them, protected them and provided for them time and time 
again. The common theme throughout the Old Testament is Israel falling into sin, calling out to God, repenting of their sins, accepting God's mercy, and then getting trapped in sin again and starting the pattern all over again. Sounds an awful lot like us, doesn't it? Though the Lord had acted like a faithful and loving husband to them, the people of Israel, we see here, acted like an adulterous wife who was unfaithful to her husband over and over again. So let's pick up now in verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so God says that, again, his new covenant will not be like the old one. In the new covenant, God promises here in verse 33 to write his law on the hearts of his covenant people. And by doing so, they will finally truly be his people as he has been their God. You know, we have done well by building and erecting the various memorial monuments in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere throughout our country, even in our own state. These are monuments where we have taken and we have written in stone the names of the people who have died while serving our country. But the greatest honor that we can give those who have died in this way is to write their names on our hearts. And I am sure that's exactly what so many people in this country have done who have lost a loved one in one of the many wars throughout our history. And in the same way, it was good for God and God's people to write his law down first in stone and then on the paper scrolls so they could read it and they could remember it. But it is so much better now that we have his law written on our hearts to guide us and instruct us and direct us. That is a wonderful blessing of the new covenant. But I think it's safe to say that the most important part about the new covenant in this passage is that it also ties in so well with this idea of remembering that we're talking about this morning. Look with me in verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and here we go, and I will remember their sin no more. So in this verse, we see that God has promised to forgive the sins of his people, and most importantly, he has promised to remember their sins no more. In other words, God is commanding us to remember while he is promising to forget. God has taken the great sin eraser, the cross of Jesus Christ, and has blotted out our sins with his blood and has promised to remember them no more. This is good news. This is the gospel message. And that is what I am calling you to remember this morning. Remember that you have a God who has promised to forgive the sins of his people. His people who have entered into a new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that you have a God who has promised to forget our sins. A God who has promised to forget our sins because of the broken body and the spilt blood of the Lamb, our Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. 
Friends, this is good news. This is the gospel. And if you're wondering what is the best way to remember this good news, these life-changing truths, I have a very simple answer. It's in your Bible. We need to read our Bibles. We need to study our Bibles. In the Bible, we are reminded about God's work on our behalf. In the Bible, we are reminded that God loves us so much that he came to earth to die in our place. In the Bible, we are reminded that we are a people on a mission for God and that we have work to do. It is important that we read our Bibles so we will remember the things that are true about us in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. But friends, remembering alone is not enough. We must remember in a way that stirs us to action. And so while I have issued to us a call to remember this morning, now I want to issue to us a call to act. Brothers and sisters, we have a Savior who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And that is what he calls us to remember. He instituted the Lord's Supper and told us to do it in remembrance of him. We are to remember his body that was broken for us. We are to remember his blood that was poured out for us. And we are to remember it in such a way that it stirs us to action. We are to remember it in a way that our lives are changed by it. And that is what I am calling us to remember this morning. Remember Christ who died for you. Remember that you were buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in a newness of life. And we need to start walking in that newness of life. Walk in a manner which shows that you are remembering the one who died for you. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember whose you are. Remember that you have been called to a great work, but don't only remember it, act on it. Friends, we are called to be laborers in a field that is ripe for the harvest, and it's time that we get out into that field. Just like after the many defining events in our country, like Pearl Harbor, like September 11th, there was first a call to remember, but then there was always a call to action. And the men and women of this country rose up to fight the fight for our freedom, and some of them paid with their own lives. And I am calling us to remember the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus Christ and rise up in action and fight the good fight of faith. Jesus never promised that it would be easy, and yet we have made it easy. Friends, living the Christian life is supposed to be hard. It is supposed to be a fight to the death. But when I stand back and I look at my life, it doesn't look much like a fight to the death. It mostly looks like fun and relaxation. What about yours? Jesus said, if we do not acknowledge him before men, then he will not acknowledge us before the Father. Jesus said, if we do not acknowledge him before men, he will not acknowledge us before the Father. Are we really acknowledging him before the world around us? Or are we just playing church? Brothers and sisters, this is serious business. The eternal destiny of our friends and our neighbors and our families is on the line. May the Lord help us to take it seriously. Friends, I call you this morning to remember. 
I call you this morning to act. Let's pray. Merciful Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son, our Passover lamb, to die in our place. Father, may we not leave here taking that for granted today. May we commit ourselves to getting out into the field that is ripe for the harvest, God. I pray that you will motivate each of us to do that. I pray that you will put a burden upon us to see people come to know your son. Help us to remember. Help us not to be people who forget. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.